Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Ron. Noah's still here. Yo. This is now our second all-new Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We had Alina Haba and Joe Kent join us in our first episode of the show today. We talked all about the primary messaging, how it's heating up ahead of the Iowa caucuses, and what it looks like coming from both sides of the aisle. We're going to be focusing in with the entirety of our news in the second show with the crisis down on the U.S. southern border. The Biden regime rolled out Alejandro Mayorkas to kind of defend himself this week. And House Republicans countered with Mike Johnson taking about 60 of his counterparts down to the Rio Grande Valley sector down in Texas to kind of see how well the Department of Homeland Security cleaned it up. And even when they tried their best, still had to fish a couple migrants out of the water as they're doing the press conference. So they got some guy out there with, like, galoshes on, like, with a stick, like, poking a dead body or what? Mike Johnson's, like, literally giving his press conference from the podium in the background. You hear, like, Ayutami, Ayutami, Venezuela, help me. And he can't get through the razor wire. And the Border Patrol agents are trying to, like, make him go down the river. And he's, like, trying to come across right to where all the House Republicans are holding a press conference. Jeez. It was ugly. The whole thing was ugly. And the thing was, they had the before and after pictures. You've talked about this, Noah, how sometimes they clean up the shop when they know the bosses are coming through. Oh, yeah. They had, like, the entire underneath of the bridge, like, 2,000 people. And then, like, two days later, they just had, like, the orange fencing that they kept them in there. Like, cattle completely empty with just trash on the ground. Yeah, you got to love that shit. Absolutely awful. So here's the deal. Just want to remind everybody also, we're going to have Alex Brusowitz joining us back on the show, talking about everything primary related, and we're going to be sitting down for the first time with Brandon Gill. He's the son-in-law of Dinesh D'Souza, married to Dinesh's daughter, and is already endorsed by President Trump. He's running for a house seat in Texas. Really excited to be sitting down with him for the first time today. So another action-packed episode of Steak for Breakfast. Let's jump right into this. I mentioned Alejandro Mayorkas was wheeled out. Trying to make a defense for himself and the zero border policies and enforcement that have been in place since Joe Biden took office. We're, you know, north of 13 million people that have come in, not including getaways. We've smashed record week after week, month after month, day after day down the U.S. southern borders in regards to encounter. Our resources and all of our great friends down there are so overwhelmed. And then you have this douchebag coming out here talking about, um, well, <laughs> you know, the system is broken. And uh, it was the system was broken uh, when I got the job. We, we want them uh, to have 2000 more Border Patrol agents, but the Republicans won't fund it. Yeah. The, the, the difference is that I could have fixed it, but I didn't. My counterpart on the other side of the podcast table might wear out the garrison button mm. by the time we're done with this segment. Let's jump right into it with the DHS secretary. Because of the standards at the border and the flow issue that Republicans have identified, Republic, uh, Democratic leaders, mayors, governors, they're struggling. Uh, Abbott, Governor Abbott in Texas, is busing people to different states. They're showing up on, on doorsteps. They're in the streets. They can't work. They're hungry. They're begging. It's a big, big problem. What is the White House willing to do to come to the aid of your fellow Democrats and to say, we need help? So uh, a few things. Number one, we have sought and received some funding from Congress to assist 
mayors and governors in addressing the migration challenge. But let me ask you Taxpayer a question. Funding. Do you oh. think it is responsible governance for one governor to refuse to coordinate, communicate, cooperate with other state officials around the country and just unilaterally bus people to another locality without informing the receiving locality so that we can work <laughs> together to address a challenge that our country faces? Is that the type of patriotism and governance that we expect of our officials? I think that both parties are playing games and have been for decades on this issue. And you're not talking about the fundamental point of contradiction. The Republicans want a, a stop to the flow with very specific ideas. You're not even talking about those ideas this morning. And so both sides are playing politics as they have been for a very long time. Senator, uh, Secretary Mayorkas. I would respectfully disagree with you. Oh. I would respectfully disagree with you. Oh. <laughs> I fucking hate that guy. Yeah, seriously, man. He is like the the more traditional Bond villain that you would expect in a Democrat regime. He's not even a Bond villain. He's just like a retard that looks like a Bond villain. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and you know, listen, he did the full gambit. That was on CBS this morning. He would later go on MSNBC. He started to allude to Governor Greg Abbott by calling him that governor, talking about locality, <laughs> not pay, where migrants are getting dropped. No, this this kind of just, wait till you see this picture I've painted with Alejandro Mayorkas throughout the course of this segment. Let's hear him kind of dig in on MSDNC on Greg Abbott right now. Let me identify one fundamental problem here, and that is the fact that we have now you're running one governor. governor in the state of Texas, <laughs> who is refusing to cooperate with other, other governors and other local officials and coordinate efforts to address a challenge that our country, which this country should stand united to address, that our country is facing. And it's a r remarkable failure of governance to refuse to cooperate with one's fellow local and state officials. It's very odd that he would say that it's a failure of governance, given the fact that his failure of governance of the Department of Homeland Security is the reason why we're in this mess to begin with, not to mention Joe Biden's uh, day one executive orders. Oh, you're 100 percent correct, Noah. And, and, you know, we all understand that the crown jewel of the Trump immigration policy that became part of the Trump doctrine that worked the best and best served the American people, kept our border safe and secure, American streets more safe and secure, allowed the people who are working on there to focus on things like human trafficking and the drug trade was remained in Mexico. Yeah, I just don't understand how anybody can see what's happening now and think it's ever going to stop. Why would it ever stop? Like what? You're getting free gift cards and cell phones and cell phones and all you got to do is just show up. And it doesn't matter how you come in, and maybe you'll even get away. But if you get away, then you don't get the free shit. You just have to steal shit. And then if you go to the predetermined destination city within the sanctuary state that you're going to shack up in and in some luxury hotel or something, and you decide to commit crimes out of frustration because you're not getting free shit fast enough, then you have people like the head of the Department of Homeland Security to go on TV and stick up for you. Mm. It, it's just... The fucking amount of clown world that we live in when it comes to this stuff that's going on on the U.S. southern border is, is 
like that we have never seen before in our country. And people don't seem to understand, like, this is going to be decades and decades of issues that are going to just stem from all of this. Don't let Big Tom Homan hear you say that. He says he's fixing it on day one. Well. I'm kidding. Obviously, we starting know. Starting the ball rolling towards fixing it, yes. But, I mean, whether or not we pull out the largest uh, deportation operation in the in history of the world Mm -hmm. it's still just going to be really really daunting task it certainly is and and you know who's sick and tired of not only the ball rolling but the buses rolling in his direction as well is new york city mayor eric adams he went on cnn yesterday but this is what you wanted to cry to wolf blitzer about it let's check it out have you been outsmarted by the texas governor greg (laughs) Abbott? Uh, no, anyone who has a diabolical mind oh would do God. diabolical things diabolical. to just treat people in an inhumane way. We handle over 164,000 migrants and asylum seekers, and we're doing it in seekers. a humane way. We're very clear that we're going to continue to adjust as the governor of Texas carry out these actions to make sure we'll that we send a very clear, plots. loud message. No bus company should be participating <laughs> in this action. We're going to communicate with our partners in this region and make sure that we tell them they should file the same level of executive order uh, to stop this from taking place. Guess what, Noah? You know, he's been bitching about the bus companies for a couple weeks now. So apparently New York City Mayor Eric Adams is now suing the bus companies who are collaborating with Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And and you, you want to know what? Imagine this fight. Alejandro Mayorkas and Eric Adams versus Greg Abbott, who's in a wheelchair, and Ken Paxson, who's blind. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, pay-per-view to end world hunger again. Oh, boy. that Listen, the undercards are starting to heat up. I can smell what The Rock is cooking there, too. Oh, yeah. But now Eric Adams is suing these bus companies, so you want to know what Greg Abbott's doing now? He's having the bus company stop in North Jersey right before they have, like, a little subway trolley that goes directly into New York, and now they're putting the migrants off there and putting them on this little subway thing and sending them into the city. (laughs) No, you have to be able to play with these assholes because this is the games that they've done forever. And, And, you know, this is the same manipulation tactics. Things were so bad within the below blue collar workforce when Ronald Reagan was in office that they were able to push this amnesty on him. And he made the mistake of allowing 3 million people to get their amnesty. You know, I was talking about the remain in Mexico being the crown jewel of Donald Trump's border security policy when he was the president of the United States. And what do you have now? Donald Trump leaves office and there's nearly four million people staged in Mexico waiting and they all came through at the same time. And it set such a precedence. You know, we were talking about this off the air before we were recording today. I don't even think that Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas could have dreamed in their wettest of dreams for it to work this bad. Good for them, whatever. Yeah. How how are you going to, how are you going to delineate what the actual goal was? Um, I don't think that they're uh, all going to cross at the same time. They fucking did. And then they wound up bringing like 7 or 8 million more of their friends with them. And then it looks really bad and you're starting to lose popularity because it's actually being blown into the view of all the normal people who normally wouldn't see it. And what are you going to do? You can't stop now because then all you do then is just prove Trump was right again. 
House Republicans said that they're going to be looking to bring a House impeachment vote to the floor for all 100 Americans in early to mid-January. I just want to let everybody know, Monday, Matt Rosendale and Andy Ogles will be here, in addition to Roger Stone and Christina Bob. We'll be able to get some insight on a lot of stuff that's going on within the Republican House, including the trip down to the U.S. southern border. We've got a bunch of other great House, Andy Biggs, um, Tom Tiffany, Bob Good. Ralph Norman, Mike Collins, Eli Crane have all confirmed for the month of January. So we're going to be able to take you guys through this every step of the way. We're sticking with the border right now. At the centerpiece of this fight, and the biggest part of the Cope and Seed, is the problem that everybody has with Texas Governor Greg Abbott. He signed state legislation saying that he could catch aliens, and instead of releasing them or turning them over to the Department of Homeland Security, he wants to send them back to Mexico. Boom, the Biden administration sues him. Fine. I'll catch them, and then I'll put them on buses to wherever you guys say are sanctuary cities. The buses head out, boom, the Biden administration sues them. Greg Abbott puts buoys in the water to prevent people from dying because they're coming across the Rio Grande in places that are pretty treacherous. They're drowning. Kids are drowning. It's out of control. You've heard a lot of the border correspondents. Tori Ventura came on last time. He said they used to get maybe one floater every six weeks. Now they were getting like half a dozen a day. It just, you can't make this shit up. And, and, and for the way it's devolved, it's, it's almost like you're never going to be able to put the toothpaste back in the tube here. Greg Abbott was on Fox News. He was going to push back on just about every single person from the radical progressive left that was bitching about him. Let's hear it. And it's amazing. Neither he nor Kamala Harris or, you know, for example, these mayors that are all complaining about just a tiny percentage of illegal immigrants when you're dealing with the, the, the pretty much the entire problem. Uh, they won't do their job. You're trying to do their job for you. And now they want to stop you from doing their job. If I picked up people the at the border sweats. and I took them to another state, would I be arrested and convicted? Well, you got to do it in a way uh, so that it does not turn into kidnapping. And Texas is doing it in a very legal way. When we send people to New York, to Washington, D.C., to Chicago, to L.A., to Denver, to wherever they're going to, uh, it's done by the letter of the law to make sure that uh, nothing is wrong. However, what we have found is the hypocrisy of the mayor of New York, of the mayor of Chicago, of the mayor of Denver and uh, of California, things like that, where they say, oh, we want to be a sanctuary city. We want to provide all these free benefits to migrants, but then they start complaining when Texas starts uh, starts uh, dropping them off uh, into their states or into their communities. Listen, this is a responsibility caused by the Joe Biden administration. And these Democrat mayors, they need to wake up to the reality that their communities are going to continue to face challenges, including more buses and planes, unless <laughs> and until Joe Biden starts enforcing the immigration laws of the United States. You know, I'll give you a really good example. So there was, there's like this white gay mayor who's currently the mayor of Denver. And instead of just doing like a normal, you know, if you don't even want to say Christmas holiday message, he like got out maracas and sang Feliz Navidad to his constituents, which a lot of people thought was kind of kowtowing to the amount of illegals. Remember, Jorge Ventura, again, I'm going to touch back on him. He said that Denver had been getting a shit ton of them. I remember I, I like, quoted the tweet and, and said something horrible about him, and then all the lefties from from Denver were just jumping in there and was like, oh, he won the mayorship by 14 points. Like, oh, we fucking love this guy. This, within a week, ABC News was there and did a report where they were going through, like, miles of tent cities in the city of Denver. Yeah. 
where the police were coming in to have to remove them from in and around the sporting events because people were getting robbed and assaulted. And it's all illegal migrants. It's not homeless people. Homeless people don't live in fucking Denver, Colorado. It's freezing there. And it's just funny to watch the way that these people will stick up the vote blue no matter who demographic will stick up for these people. And within a week, it's a national news story that the city has been thrown into chaos because of the amount of illegals that Greg Abbott is bussing there. So when he sees these assholes out there on the internet virtue signaling about it, he just sends more buses than he did the first time. And I think it's, listen, nobody wants them here, but if Joe Biden's going to take them and just release them into Texas, then well, I would what, probably... What do they, they expect that Texas is supposed to do? Just get over overrun and have literal cities just get taken over? We've seen it in El Paso and San Antonio already a couple times this year. Yeah. Where, where they haven't been able to get them out or there's been no detention or, or not enough transportation to get them out of there, and it becomes becomes a humanitarian crisis. There's kids of all shapes and sizes. You know, there's... Man, I've seen on the news lately, they have incurred a lot of people who have committed crimes not in the United States, and it goes back to the talking point that Donald Trump always alludes to, that these countries are emptying out their prisons and their mental institutions, and they're sending these people in caravans up to the United States. And if by any chance these people are encountered and they run your shit and it's not with a country that we, I guess, collaborate with, these people could just make up a John Doe name and give some bullshit birthday and they're into the United States forever as like a new person after they could have committed. I saw a couple people that have committed like horrible rapes, murders, and they're getting encountered at the border because I guess we share criminal information with countries like I think it's like Colombia or like one other one. They're finding these murderers of people who didn't commit crimes in the United States, but now they're getting sent here by their countries. Well, and then that was the thing is from the reporting that we've gotten when they're processing these people, you know, that you're going to run their fingerprints and, and do all that kind of biometric stuff, mm -hmm. but they've never been here before. Yep. So if you're checking local law enforcement and federal law enforcement for a criminal history Obviously, they're not going to have anything unless they've been here previously illegally or something like that and got a DUI or something. But no. you know what? Or committed some kind of a yeah, felony what, what you, and was jailed and then deported. No, it, it, it's the truth, Noah. I got another one from Mayorkas right now. He was on with, so he finished the night on Brett Bear, and, and that's where he went. Whatever bullshit show that that guy has, Breaking Tonight, I think it's called. And of course, what we've been telling you guys for years now. Alejandro Mayorkas wants to transform the immigration system. Let's hear what he had to say. You say that Republicans won't accept the extra funding. They have a problem with the funds being used to release and transport illegal yes, immigrants exactly. around the country. Correct. So Congress is listening right now. Would you ex accept the extra funding on the condition that the funds could only be used for detention and removal, but not release into the country? Uh, Brett, uh, the uh, funds are needed Poppy. to provide the Department of Homeland Security with more Border Patrol agents. The funds are needed to provide the Department of Homeland Security with more technology. Mm -hmm. The funds are needed to provide our department with more detention space, to provide the Department of Justice with more immigration judges so justice can be administered more swiftly. What justice? No justice. You get your green card because you're getting amnesty. That's the justice right yeah. there. It's just the most disingenuous bullshit that spews from this man's mouth. It's 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 insulting. It's ugly. And, you know, that whole segment ended. And I know I've said this before, but I cannot imagine having the job of working for this this 
administration or regime we like to call regime, here and speak for breakfast. Like, can you imagine just being boots on the ground or just like having to just like shovel shit every day and just be like, yeah, this is this is fine. Everything's fine. Couldn't imagine. Sounds awful. Yeah. We pray for all our brave men and women who work and serve down on the U.S. southern border and everyone who's been pulled from other parts of, uh, you know, the federal government to come work down there and, and do all the nasty stuff like clean up after them and, and change diapers and pass out food. And it's just, you know, accompanying these people on transportation where there have been cases where there's violence and it's just, it's awful. And, and you know, Brett Baer ended the piece. And in our last auto clip before we jump in with Alex Bruce was here on whether or not he would willingly step down if the house impeached him i don't know if it would get the full gambit because the senate is controlled by the democrats let's hear what the department of homeland security secretary had to say impeached um would you step down you'd be the first cabinet member to be impeached by the house in 148 years oof brett uh i lead 260 incredibly dedicated and talented men and women of the department of homeland security i will continue to lead them in advancing the mission of protecting the american people that's what we do in the area of immigration in the area of cybersecurity, in our fight against human trafficking in saving communities devastated by extreme weather events we do so (laughs) much for the american people and i'm incredibly proud to do it Fuck you. I hate you. What an idiot. We most certainly do here on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, listen. Everyone's got to combat a little climate change every once in a while, right? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> climate migration, you ever hear of it? It's a thing. I, I, I got nothing. It's so frustrating. Listen, we're about to pick our spirits up now because the CEO of X Strategies and Trump campaign strategist Alex Brusewitz is about to be joining us. But before we get into anything with him let's check in again with one of our partners it's an unpleasant truth that 42 percent of americans are obese and 79 percent of americans are overweight that's practically one in every two americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence it's time to change that and make americans healthy again you've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives, and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family-owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. Joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the CEO of X Strategies. He's on board 100% with Trump 2024 as well. Mr. Alex Brusowitz, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be back with you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, sir. Listen, we're heading into a huge weekend here. We're just, what, 12 days now before the Iowa primaries. Donald Trump is going to be on the ground all weekend there doing multiple events. So many great friends in America First out there with him. You've got everyone from his son, Eric, and, and Matt Whitaker to Governor Christy Nome and everyone in between. Alex, you've watched this race and the preseason portion of the Republican primary shape out to just the way we all expected it was going to be two Novembers ago when Donald Trump announced that he was going to run to retake the White House in 2025. Now that we're at the threshold of finally being able to hang actual W's in the form of primary and caucus wins, what can you say about the race he's run? And what is your uh, 
you know, forecast for at least the first two Iowa and New Hampshire? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the the best campaign he's ever run. I think, uh, you know, President Trump did incredibly well in 2016. He did even better in 2020. Uh, he won both of those elections, in my opinion. Obviously, we know what uh, transpired after the 2020 election. Uh, but, you know, this 2024 race that he's run, the best race, uh, I think, probably ever in, in modern uh, American political history. And so incredibly disciplined, tight-knit group, uh, no leaks, everybody's working together. Uh, and then also on the outside effort, his super PAC is the only super PAC that hasn't done damage to his candidate. If you look at what's happening with Nikki Haley now, her super PAC is going to be a big story because it's accepted money from a guy named Reed Hoffman, who's visited Epstein Island multiple times. He yeah. just gave Nikki Haley 250000 and then we all know what happened with the DeSantis Super PAC and then never back down, laying $150 million on fire. And so uh, it was the best operation I've seen out of any Trump candidacy thus far. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what he does in the general election. But uh, the primary is going to be wrapped up uh, here very soon. We're going to put Ron DeSantis to sleep in 10 days after the Iowa caucus. I think Ron's going to finish third. And then uh, we'll go. Uh, mano y mano with Nikki Haley, who is an America last loser, who has done nothing but hurt our country since being in politics. And so uh, this primary is going to be over very soon. And then we're going to take the fight to Joe Biden and take back our White House. I mean, there are a couple of things I want to touch on you there, Alex. First of all, the Trump campaign, we, we, we can't not stress enough how like clockwork precision this group has worked with you know chris and Susie, brian the whole gang over there like you said the the leaks have been at zero the fiscal uh responsibility that they've used throughout this campaign donald trump could have went and done rally after rally we all know how many millions of dollars that costs instead he went to local gop events he went to commit to caucus events he went to state fairs he went to groups where it's like local gops and and things of that nature and then when you look at the way that he's become that touchable candidate again, what the mainstream media didn't want Donald Trump to be during the 2020 election cycle, what everybody missed back from 2015, it seems like he's really reintroduced himself to the American public and reminded everybody how prosperous life was uh, during the course of the first Trump term. No, you're spot on when you say that. I think President Trump's large rallies and more like personal stuff like showing up at a diner unexpectedly or, you know, showing up at the UFC event. You know, the, the more organic stuff that President Trump has done this cycle compared to previous uh, candidate, you know, campaigns, uh, I think has made an incredible difference. People love President Trump when they get to meet him, and he's made himself significantly more accessible. And it's, it's made a world of a difference in this campaign. Here's the difference between Trump and Ron DeSantis. When Trump meets somebody, they love him. When Ron DeSantis meets somebody, they hate him. So the, the retail politics is such a massive thing when you're running for president. And Donald Trump just dominates at that game. And so, um, you know, and like you said, the, the differences between now uh, and when President Trump was in office in terms of the economy, uh, it's, it's like much better under President Trump. If you look at stability in the world, world peace, Donald Trump was delivering world peace. Joe Biden has brought nothing but destruction, death, and chaos. And so when you look at serious issues that the voters actually care about, not the, the threat to democracy bullshit that the Democrats are going to really the issues that matter to the American each and every one. And we're seeing that in all of the polls. Uh, we're seeing that uh, in, in just everyday life. And so I've never met a Joe Biden supporter in person. 
And so, you know, I meet Donald Trump supporters every day and they're from all different walks of life. And so um, all different demographics. So we're really excited to take this fight to Joe Biden once we put the pretenders to bed in the primary. And that's the thing. I mean, Ron DeSantis has, has kind of self-inflictedly destroyed his entire life, his political career. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to be working in a pizza parlor. That's what he's going to be doing. But as he falls like a wounded bird from the sky. And the free refills on Saturday. And in the polls, we have now the establishment hitching their wagon to Nikki Haley. She is high taxes. She is forever wars. She is, you shouldn't call illegals illegal because it's mean. She's for internet censorship, all of the things that Donald Trump championed on being the opposite of Nikki Haley is like professed as part of her really weird platform. I mean, we understand like the zero sum people thing that Tucker Carlson said, we understand that all these losers are waiting to see if a a felony charge or a jail term would stick to Donald Trump. We all know it's not going to, but that's just the nature of the business right now. When you see all of these losers and the billionaire donor class and the, the international media groups that are trying to hitch their wagon and promote Nikki Haley as something other than like a, a, a girl version of Dick Cheney, how funny is it to watch her just light her hair on fire every time she goes out in public? And much of a challenge in the press. For, uh, she was in place for the Lord. And he uh, who was, who was ever in second place. And it was the sanctimonious for the longest time. But, you know, like you said, he, he dropped like a rock. Um, and uh, now he's in third place and he'll be gone before you know it. And so Nikki Haley is actually uh, taking Ron's spot as the distant second place candidate. Uh, and so now we will fight Nikki. But uh, Nikki's horrible at politics. And uh, every time she opens her trap, she says something stupid. And so the bird brain <laughs> nickname was spot on. You know, last night at the CNN debate, our town hall for her, she said uh, in response to the question of why didn't you mention slavery when talking about the Civil Civil War? And she goes, you think I'm racist? I had black friends growing up. And I couldn't believe that she said something so dumb. Yep. She's horrible at this. And if, we, if she's the nominee, Republicans will lose up and down the ballot, state house races, state Senate races, you know, gu- gubernatorial races. We would lose in a historic landslide. She is the worst candidate, I think, that we have probably uh, maybe tied with Ron. Her and Ron are both equally terrible. But um, she's awful. And so she is a return to the days of the forever wars and the offshoring of American jobs and putting American people last. She comes from the school of thought of George Bush and Dick Cheney. And, uh, you know, those two led to the destruction of our uh, party. And our party was quite frankly dead until Donald Trump came down the escalator in 2016 and revitalized it. And so uh, we can't go back if we want to win. And uh, fortunately, you know, looking at the polls, Mickey's in the low teens, uh, you know, and so, I don't think she has a ton of support, but we will fight her as long as she's in second place, and maybe she'll drop sooner than later, and maybe Chris Christie will become second. But <laughs> um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna fight whoever's in second, and we're gonna win. Not the Golden Corral's favorite customer. No, it's pretty funny, you know. And they've used this whole New Hampshire battleground last line of defense for Nikki Haley. Like people don't get the news the way it's supposed to be, you know, served up to you. Joe Biden is not on the ballot in New Hampshire, which means it's like a free for all for Democrats to be able to go out in the Republican primaries and vote for whoever they want. Obviously, the people trying to keep Joe Biden in the White House are not going to be voting for Donald Trump in the New Hampshire primary. It's the only place that you know Nikki Haley has been able to make a stake to any kind of a decent poll. But then you see the South Carolina poll come out this morning and she's losing by like 50 points in her home state so 
it goes without saying. I mean, this is the way it's going to kind of shake up. We don't see Donald Trump catching any L's ahead of Super Tuesday, which he will essentially wrap up the nomination after that, delegate-wise. And then, Alex, you know, we have here in America first segue to the general election and focusing on Joe Biden a long time ago. Donald Trump understood after watching these guys screw up on the campaign trail throughout the entirety of their, you know, short candidacies here that there wasn't going to be a contender in the group anybody he had to worry about. And he started pushing Agenda 47 hard and focusing in on Joe Biden. You can't find a place on earth that he hasn't caused utter destruction in, whether it's our own U.S. southern border, the economy, the educational system, how we deal with our kids, and then geopolitically, loss of energy independence, you name it. It's fucked up because of Joe Biden, and Donald Trump's looking to fix it. It seems like it's a pretty soft target, but I know once these primaries start and Donald Trump starts racking up the W's, he's really going to start hammering Joe Biden hard, especially after Joe Biden goes out to Valley Forge this weekend and, and celebrates the biggest Democrat holiday of them all, of course, January 6th, worse than like 10 9-11s combined with uh, a dozen Pearl Harbors. And, and, and that's when it's going to see the gloves really come off, I feel. Do you, do you kind of see it shaping up that way? Yeah, absolutely. And Donald Trump's been the only candidate that's been running a general election race in the Republican primary. He's the only one that is electable in the Republican primary. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I think Ron and Nikki at this point are just running to sabotage Republicans' chances. Uh, and so, you know, the sooner we get rid of these jokers, the better for our party and the better for our country. Uh, and so I think they're going to be gone within the next couple of months. I think Ron might be gone in 10 days, um, which will be sad because I can't fight with Cardillo anymore. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's besides the point. But when it comes to the general election, you know, the Democrats are going to really try to hammer home the uh, threat to democracy mes- message, which is a failing message. It does not resonate with the people. You know, they're, they've been pushing the Trump's going to be a dictator line of BS for quite some time. Uh, and, you know, and so we're, we're going to push back strongly against that because at the end of the day, the American people know that Trump wasn't a dictator or a fascist when he was commander in chief. He was a great leader for our country. And they look at what what Joe Biden's doing right now. Joe Biden is the fascist. Joe Biden is the one who is working with uh, Secretary of State to ban his leading opponent from the ballot. Joe Biden is the one who has arrested his political opponent four times. He's the one that has gone and thrown, you know, journalists in jail. He's the one who's arresting people who make memes of his political allies. And so if anybody's a fascist, if anybody's a threat to democracy, it's Joe Biden and the American people are, are waking up to that fact. And so any type of you know bullshit they put out there saying Trump is, it's just pure projection and the voters know it. It's the absolute truth, Alex, and we're going to be tracking this with great anticipation waiting for the Iowa caucuses a week from Monday. And, and we'll be looking to track that as we do with all the stuff we track when we're following you out there on social media, Alex, we're obviously going to be live linking X strategies in our show description today, but we want everyone that isn't following you on social media. I don't know if you're, if you're in America first and you're listening, how you're not following Alex and the way he absolutely destroys people online. You'll thank me later. Where can we find you? Uh, you can follow me on all platforms at Alex Bruzowitz. We have a good time on there and uh, we really appreciate the support we get from steak for breakfast. You guys are fantastic. And so are you, my friend. We'll be looking to circle back soon. This is the CEO of X Strategies, one of our great friends. He's Mr. America First, Alex Rusewitz. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend. Uh, you too. See you, fellas. All right, it was great catching up with Alex Rusewitz. We're jumping back into the news. Last news segment of our second episode on these Friday editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I want to remind everybody, Brandon Gill's going to be joining us for the first time to talk about his house race and how he's looking to get up on Capitol Hill and help make Congress great again next year as well. We're going to stick 
into this narrative we're talking about right now about what's going on on the U.S. southern border, we've already heard the regime rolling out Alejandro Mayorkas and him making a case for himself and his job. Now, what will the Republicans, who have the majority in the House, do about it? Well, Mike Johnson packed up the team, about 60 or so House Republicans, and they took it on down to the U.S. southern border. They went to the Rio Grande Valley sector, and they had a press conference, surveyed the, we'll call it damage, and provided a couple talking points on where they're going to go from here. We're going to get into the logistics of all that in just a bit. We're going to start out with a clip right here. Speaker Johnson, before he did his press conference, jumped on Fox News with Larry Kudlow to talk about it. Let's check it out. Speaker Johnson, has President Joe Biden gotten involved in any talks with you, for example, or any of your lieutenants to solve this open border catastrophe? No, this is intentional. <laughs> These are policy choices that got us into this situation, Larry. Uh, we passed H.R. 2 seven months ago. Our legislation, the Secure the Border Act, does exactly what is necessary to stem the flow and get on top of this crisis. It would uh, r- restore the Remain in Mexico policy that worked so well under the Trump administration, end catch and release. It would rebuild the wall, uh, finish uh, building the border wall as an important deterrent. And importantly, it would do the things that we know can be done. The president doesn't even need new federal laws. He needs to enforce the ones that are on the books. He could do much of this by executive order, but he refuses to do it. And if we would make these simple changes, we could solve this problem. But right now, it's completely out of control. Again, we've reiterated endlessly on here that it's not that we don't want border security. It's that the Biden administration's policy won't allow for it. Period. Yeah, the all the all the rules are there. I mean, all these people coming in committing fraud. Game over for your asylum claim. There was even a high-ranking Department of Homeland Security official that I saw on another news program the other day. I couldn't find the clip anywhere online, but they weird. were basically saying, "Yeah, it is so weird. You should have to see what you have to do." Alejandro Mayorkas did like ten interviews over the last like forty-eight hours. You have to type in his name, and then the next word has to be, like, something that's in the post on X or it doesn't come up. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, they had this high-ranking DHS official, and they might have worked for ICE or, or maybe even CIS, something like that. And, and they were talking, and they are like, honestly, you talk about, like, okay, there's over 100,000 missing children. You're catching and releasing these people all into the major cities. Like, at the end of the day, does the Department of Homeland Security know where any of, like, the, let's just say the low number is 7 or the high number is 13 million people are? They don't. Zero percent. Most of these people don't even have addresses. Like, they go to the airport and they get put on, like, a Delta flight. They're walking around with a vanilla folder that says name, name, a fake date of birth, and their destination location, New York City, Chicago, Miami, Sacramento, and that's it. They have nothing else. And once these people get off the plane and walk out of the airport, they're in the wind. And it's like, potentially you can understand that every single person that's coming to the United States since the start of the Biden regime, the Department of Homeland Security has no idea where they're at. And the only way they're ever going to get, I guess you could say, processed is if they report to where they're supposed to be in 2027, 2029, 2031, or whenever they're supposed to show up to court. In the meantime... Apparently, they can get work authorization. They could use a P.O. box, one of these government-funded luxury hotels in a major city as like a place of residence, a homeless shelter, one of these Catholic charities or, or at one of these churches that they're staying at. And that's it. These people have no idea where any of these people are. 
are these these charities are just collecting paychecks. Like, is this just funding to them? Oh, like I mean, I guess, I guess to a certain extent, people think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, but like when it gets to the point where you're doing the right thing for all the, the wrong, wrong reasons. reasons, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you remember that iconic video from a couple of years ago when the you know we had the beginning of the border crisis and Alex Jones is like laying on the hood of somebody's car saying like, "What NGO do you work for? Where you, why do you have five kids in the back of a sedan? They have no car seats. They have no seatbelts on." And there's just some big fat white dude in the driver's seat with a mask on, completely ignoring him, backing up while he's like hanging on the car. Alex Jones is like fake falling. He's like, "Oh my God, you're hitting me with the car!" And he just drives away. <laughs> Typical Alex Jones. But again. Exposing what is like a small, minute situation in in a what could be multi million person problem we have here, Noah, and, and to to see the way this is bad. You know, the, the censuses are going to come out. You're going to have all these new people redistricting places in the United States potentially. We we have set ourselves up for for quite a challenge ahead, and it's going to have to. You know, we're going to get into it in just a sec. I don't want to overshoot my shot right now. We're going to get to the actual press conference here. Here's Speaker Johnson down on the bank of the Rio Grande, flanked by about 60 House Republicans talking about what's going on at the U.S. southern border currently. Let's hear it. ...has done next to nothing to protect the border, but we've all seen with our own eyes they have opened the border wide to the entire world. It's estimated that nearly 170 countries have people coming in and flowing across this border. And some of these are from nations uh, that, that uh, have high numbers of concentration. And these are, these are not uh, people who are fleeing and looking for asylum that are in fear for their lives in their home countries. Uh, we have hardened criminals coming across that border. They're the ones being released from prisons from some of these Finally, countries and sent it. here to come into the U.S. Rather than incentivizing people to come, the president needs to deter people from entering the country. Rather than discussing amnesty with Mexico, as top uh, Biden administration officials did within the last couple of weeks, this administration should reinstate the remaining Mexico policy, as was said. Rather than expanding parole authority to an unprecedented scale, the president should obviously end catch and release and stop the abuse of our parole and asylum systems. The president can and should act now. This doesn't require legislation. It requires leadership. And, and despite the White House's claim, he has all the authority he needs right now under existing federal law to stop this madness. But the message his policies has sent is the opposite of that. It's quite clear. Under President Biden, America has laid out a welcome mat to illegal immigrants, smugglers, and cartels. He is responsible for the grave threat to our national security and our, and our nation's sovereignty that these policies have created. But instead of taking responsibility and providing leadership, this administration has done nothing but attack elected officials who are trying to fix this catastrophe. The people standing behind you have worked hard. We passed our legislation more than seven months ago. You have red and blue states all across this country that are being forced to step up because the federal government has failed to do its job. Right here in Texas, Governor Abbott has heroically done more to enforce the law than the president has. And how has this administration responded? They have sued the state of Texas to stop their deterrence efforts. They have brought them to court to, to strike down their ability to put up uh, buoys in the water and, and razor wire and the rest. It's absolutely, you know, we have to have leadership. I know we don't have all of our strongest warriors in the position of power right now, but I think we the one thing we can be thankful for when, when you talk about Speaker Johnson is the fact that he can 
muster the courage to do it. No, could you ever see Kevin McCarthy heading down to the U.S. southern border and, and having a conversation like that before? I don't think so. No. You I, I mean, I don't I don't think you'd want to even hear it because it would just be him talking out of the side of his face like he always does. So he could run back up to Washington, D.C. And, and meet in the middle somewhere with Joe Biden like he always did? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's here's the thing. We're going to see what Mike Johnson is made of very soon because when he said Joe Biden closes the border, the Republican House is closed for business at the conclusion of this CR, what can you do other than believe him until it happens? If, if we get to the end of the CR and he said, you don't want to know what we're going to do, another short CR because now we're negotiating on the border, then I would essentially call bullshit and I say maybe he's not the man for the job. Yeah, no. But you have to be able to say that and, and you know, it's the Democrats who always draw a red line and they let people trample over it. Republicans have to stop doing the same thing. And if if shutting the border down is the reason why the government shuts down or lack thereof, then Republicans are going to be in the right no matter which way the Democrats want to frame it. It's just the way it is. You know, they, they've passed the legislation. They've gone out there and said the right things. And at the end of the day, everybody knows who's in charge. Alejandro Mayorkas is the secretary of DHS. Chuck Schumer is the one that's stopping legislation as the leader of the Senate. And Joe Biden, air quoting now, is president of the United States. Mm. Texas House Representative, she's been on the show before, Beth Van Dyne. She spoke also during this event down on the Rio Grande. And someone who I think has maybe a senatorial future in the great state of Texas she joined Speaker Johnson in talking about all the other stuff that, you know, Joe Biden has done to completely destroy the sovereignty of our nation. Let's hear it. I will tell you, another thing that they were very clear about was we implore you, and this is a quote, hold the line. You have the ability through your your power of the purse to force this administration to do its job. It's She's talking about what constituents are telling that. them. But that is exactly the position that we find ourselves in. Hold the line. None of us want to shut down the government. But we all recognize the fact that every single penny that we are giving to Homeland Security at this point that is not being used to secure our border, that is not being used to increase our national security, but is doing the exact opposite. It is weakening it. It is forcing more and more people quickly, more efficiently into our country illegally is hurting our national security, hurting our best interests and killing our economy correct, and local correct, and local correct. governments. When you've had over 100,000 people that have been killed as a result of fentanyl more than any other terrorist attack on our country. This is a time to take steps. This is a time to, to hold the line. And we in Congress, we have a, we have a bill, H.R. 2, and I could not agree any more strongly with Representative Gonzalez that we do have to target the cartels. But we have a job to do. The American people are absolutely sick of the policies that they've seen in the Biden administration. And we will hold the line and we will fight to make sure H.R. 2 is passed, as well as other border security measures that will support our Customs and Border Patrol and help secure our nation. I like it. Sometimes you need the rah-rah bullshit. She's also pointing out a lot of the facts there. I think that they're there in that little over a minute speaking part that she did, uh, which did have some emotion behind it, was nobody wants to shut down. Speaker Johnson, some of the leadership in the House Republicans, they're all starting to pair at the same narrative. Shut down. Shut the border or shut down the government. This would not be good for Joe Biden for a lot of different reasons. But I think the biggest one is, is because you can't keep the government shut down from, let's just say, February of 2024 until Election Day. I mean, I think the longest government shutdown was like 30-some-odd days ever. Mm -hmm. That came during the Trump administration. I believe that was government shutdown part D. D. The border wall redux. (laughs) (laughs) 
But this is where we're at. If they don't hold the line here and they go out and do all of this talking and nothing happens, you're going to have some big problems, including retaining power in the House next year, which everybody needs to understand. For as much as you don't like an overwhelming majority of the members of Congress, for the ones that are fighting and the ones that we are hoping to add after the next election cycle, people like Joe Kent, who you heard from earlier, J.R. Majewski is a great friend of the show, Sandy Smith. We've had on Harrigan and Evans recently. We're going to be sitting down with Brandon Gill for the first time today. These are the people that are going to help get that legislation through. When Donald Trump becomes president, you need the House of Representatives to pass it and send it up to the Senate. Remember, there's an extremely favorable Senate map for Republicans up in the Senate. So the House of Representatives right now is where there's a lot of bells and whistles going off about retaining power there. It's not very often that Republicans have control of the House. I think it's only been four or five times in the last 70 years that Republicans have held the majority in the House and, and had the Speaker be a Republican. All the other times, it's been Democrats forever. Here's the deal. No, I think I've cracked the code. Yeah? Not the Da Vinci code. Ah. The grift. There's a grift to the code? Or code to the grift? So here's <laughs> the thing. If you say you're America first, but sometimes, well, all the time, you do weird shit, and you say you're 100% Trump, but then you do everything in your power to hurt everything around him, but always circle back to, I love Trump, so I'm good. What are you? Fake. Correct. And I think I've cracked the code. We're going to listen to an audio clip, and I'm going to tell you what I've seen with my own eyes over the last couple of days. I've pinged this off a couple of some of the bigger personalities in America first, and when I've shown them the receipts, it was like an OMG moment for them. And we don't like... I guess as somebody put it earlier this week, punching right. But at the end of the day, and if your only goal is to get Donald Trump back to the White House, retain power in the House, and win back the Senate so we can pass Agenda 47, sometimes you're going to have to punch forward. Let's check out the audio clip, and then we'll all talk about it. Let's go ahead. I want to play this. I'll jump in, but go ahead. This is Ben Burkwam, and this shows you with all the talk and all the bravado and everything like that, Ben Burkwam asked one simple question. Hey, can we have a show of hands who's prepared to shut down the government? <laughs> and what did they do? They heckled Ben Burkwam. Let's, let's go ahead and play it. I'll jump uh, in. Who will vote to shut down the government? No, we're not going to do show of hands. We're not in a classroom. We're not doing show of hands. Well, here's the here's the deal on the on the shutdown. We're, we are working hard to uh, get the appropriations bills done, and the resolve that uh, of this group and that you've seen with our votes and and carrying over and crushing the Christmas omnibus fever as we did with our laddered approach and the two step CR. We have until mid January. You have until early February to get the approved bills done. We have been working okay. in okay. earnest and in good faith. Okay. They have been at working in earnest. We should have taken three weeks off, Speaker. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to nickel and dime this Listen guy. This, we, no. we actually like him a lot and have had his back. But you got to face reality. The country's in a crisis. So Ben, first off, who was the guy? Who was the guy trying to play Tom Cruise with the wraparound sunglasses? Trying to be uh, Clint Eastwood <laughs> with the uh, with the wraparound sunglasses? Said no, we're not in a classroom. Well, dude, you are in a classroom. We want to see a show of hands. Well, who is that? Where is he from? Let, let's have a discussion about that because that was kind of inappropriate. I thought it was an inappropriate response. Yeah, you know, I, I'd never heard of the guy before this. Uh, his name is Pat Fallon, congressional representative from Texas, 4th District. He's retiring. On the uh, northeast side, uh, outside of Dallas, uh, the uh, suburbs and up into the northeast. And, uh, you know, again, the, the, my biggest problem with, with 
congressional representatives, if I haven't heard of you, if you've been in office for more than two years and I haven't heard of you, that's a problem, especially when you're in Texas and your state is being overrun, our country's being overrun, and I've never heard your name, and the first thing you do is heckle me and say we're not in a classroom. After I had to raise my hand to ask the dang question, you can't raise your hand and say, yes, I will stand up for our country and I will shut down our government until we shut down the border. You're upset at that question, not at the fact that our country's being invaded and destroyed from within. God, it's so boomery. I have mm. to stop it. Noah, you heard right before Ben Burkwam started going off there, Steve Bannon alluded to, oh, you know, we give him a hard time, but we like this guy. We've had his back. Now, I've played over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 weeks maybe since Mike Johnson obtained the speaker gavel, some really weird commentary from Steve Bannon just slamming this guy, talking about ramparts instead of Bibles, and, like, this guy has no spine, and you have to stop being weak to Joe Biden. Here's the deal. If you listen between... I don't know, what do they say, single between the noise on the larger apparatus? Mm. What Steve Bannon is doing, I think, or is not caring about, is winning the House of Representatives. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he's trying to lose it. But here's the thing. That guy uses people faster than Chris Christie could down a cheeseburger. Mm. Okay, here's the deal. We've seen it with people like MTG, Lauren Boebert, other House representatives, Anyone who goes on his show and will parrot his narrative while at the same time promoting his boomerous message until they don't need him anymore, until they make a decision that he doesn't like, and then his audience turns against them, and then he casts these people out into the abyss. I know Mike Johnson won't go on his show. I know there's some of the most America First reps in the House of Representatives that are pissed at him for constantly pushing the article when these guys have to go in there and it's a handful of them up against, what, 210, 212 people in their own caucus who won't vote to impeach Joe Biden, who won't vote to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, who won't fucking pass the appropriation bills, etc. A lot of this is because the America First House reps, for the most part, are either in their first term, no more than three terms, none of them are in leadership, none of them are committee chairs, and there's like a caste system in the House of Representatives on top of it being a vote-based system, I really feel that Steve Bannon, Raheem Kassam, Jack Posobiec, and Charlie Kirk would rather us lose the House of Representatives so they can continue to parrot this narrative and champion this bullshit boomer rhetoric that the deep state and the bad people are out to get Donald Trump, and that's why for the first two years of his incoming presidency, he won't be able to pass any legislation outside of executive order. Here's the evidence. Shortly after Mike Johnson gave his speaking event down on the Rio Grande, all four of those accounts that I just mentioned posted the exact same clip of Speaker Johnson from their accounts, which have millions upon millions of reach. Obviously, Grace Chong posts for Steve Bannon on Twitter, mm -hmm. all with nasty comment and rhetoric underneath it. Essentially, downplaying the job and the role that the House Republicans are going to do down on the border, that it's a photo opportunity, that because Real America's Voice didn't get all of, like, the best interviews there. It's like, this is what they do. In addition to that, you see what happens if we don't retain power in the House of Representatives. Donald Trump will get nothing done for two years. Mm -hmm. And these people will all be allowed to keep on fighting the good fight for President Trump when they're the ones that aren't helping out the situation at all. These people don't understand how the system works. Or if they do, they're just as fucking dumb 
to continue to push this narrative that the people who are actually working up on Capitol Hill, the Burkettes, the Gates, the Mills, the Hunts, that, that are actually fighting up there, like, like they don't mean anything. The fact of the matter is we don't have the numbers, and that's the one thing that's holding us back right now. But you can't take away from the fact that these guys are trying their best in a system that's stacked against them to lose. They passed the legislation. Steve Bannon said, oh, you passed it seven months ago. Stop fucking talking about it. Well, they passed it. Blame Chuck Schumer. Blame Joe Biden. Start fucking going after Joe Biden to fire Alejandro Mayorkas. Low-hanging fruit. They won't do it. Mm-hmm. They want people to go up on Capitol Hill who will go on their shows and will get in line what they want. Listen, there's a reason why Steve Bannon didn't last a full calendar year in the Donald Trump White House. And while he was ushered out of there pretty fast and called a fat retard for it, Donald Trump usually doesn't make too many mistakes. So for as much as they want to go hug at galas and high-five each other on social media, the fact of the matter is they've done it in primaries. These guys did it in the midterm elections. And if you guys don't pay attention, they're going to do it to us in next year's presidential election. They have way too much reach, way too much influence, and they lose way too much money if Donald Trump wins the White House, Republicans retain the House of Representatives, and we win back the Senate. And that's just the way it is. I'm seeing it. I'm calling it. I'm tired of watching it. If they didn't put out the four posts on all four of their accounts within minutes of each other exactly stating the same stuff negatively towards House Republicans and Speaker Johnson, I would just think like, okay, these guys are just being their usual fire up all the boomer asshole selves that they are, but it's not. It's coordinated. They understand. As soon as you lose power, you keep your interviews. As soon as you lose power in the House of Representatives, all these reps who want to change things for the last two years of Donald Trump's presidency, let's go to AmFest, let's go to CPAC. That's just the way it is, folks. And it's ugly. We got to keep an eye on it, and we'll continue to track it. Winding down here before we jump in with Brandon Gill. Nikki Haley is mad at you, Noah. Really? Why? Yes. Well, you've used the term illegal before. Mm. And, and you know, at the end of the day, they're not all bad. They might actually be all good. Have you ever taken the time to talk to an illegal Noah? Maybe gotten to know one? No? <laughs> <laughs> Like, bring bring an illegal to work day? You could do that. I don't know if the uh, people within the forklifters union would be appreciative <laughs> of that. But here's the thing. As the daughter of two former illegals, Nikki Haley must know what she's talking about. She actually said it at a speaking event yesterday. Let's check it out. But let's keep in mind, these people that are wanting to come here are people. They want to come for a better life, too. Uh, that's not they asylum. have kids, too. That's not asylum. They have a heart, too. They So we don't need to be disrespectful. We don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. They're families that want a better life, and they're desperate to get here. That's, that's, not, that's not asylum. None of that is asylum. No. That's economic migration. Which isn't a thing. It's not a thing. It literally isn't. Isn't part of the INA. We're not allowed to do it. Nope. Isn't part of the Naturalization and, and Immigration Act of 1975. It's just not a thing. It's what we call people who are coming here for economic reasons. Democrats and Republican moderates who want cheap labor have formalized the term economic migrants. 
and wanting a better life. You'll always hear those terms. Those are the people to be scared as hell of. Last clip of the day, last clip of the week, before we jump in with Brandon Gill for the first time. Very excited to talk to him. He's one of the people that's going to be up there making some big changes on Capitol Hill next year. I can already feel it. America First Congressman, someone who's done the job both figuratively and literally. Great friend of the show, savior of friends. Corey Mills was on Fox News following his trip down to the U.S. southern border. You know what, Noah? It's time to get tough. Corey Mills is talking tough. Let's hear it. Look, at the end of the day, I'm all for opening up border crossings that are legal crossings to help with trade and commerce. That is something that we actually do need. But the idea that we're opening under the precipice that it is somehow a reduction is a false narrative. We just saw a record that we thought could never be sustained, where over 300,000 people crossed our border just last month. Now, let's put that in perspective. MetLife Stadium, which is one of the largest NFL stadiums, holds 100,000 people at peak. You're talking three MetLife stadiums coming across just in the month of December. And if you were to total what Joe Biden is actually allowed to come across, which is in the millions, 1.8 million plus, it's got gotaways, uh, nine plus million that's actually crossed the borders. We're talking about putting those together and making it the seventh most populated state in America. That's what we're facing right now. And look, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I do not want to see any foreign aid package tethered together with the security of our border. If we have to shut down our government and because they can't shut down our border, then I'll tell you right now, I am prepared for that fight. Instead of us going to the border for photo ops, however, we need to be going to the Senate chamber and forcing HR to secure the Border Act, enforcing the laws that are on the books today, allowing CBP and ICE to deport those who no longer are seeking asylum or don't qualify, and getting more judges on our borders to adjudicate so that we're not allowing these people to get released freely amongst society where we're seeing an increase in criminality, we're seeing a a fentanyl increase, but look, here's the human tra- rights trafficking that's just going on, the national security violations, the health violations. These are a crisis at our border, and meanwhile, they're trying to act as if they're doing a victory lap because they've got a little bit of a lull on the border at the moment. Mm. Well, the lull is them cleaning out all the illegals before all the congressmen and women could go down there and talk yeah. to them. That's a powerful statement from Corey Mills. He even called his participation in what some detractors have acknowledges a photo op as a photo op. He's done talking. No, I don't know if you heard the there, there, or what is it? Single between the noise. Mm-hmm. Sounds like congressional fight clubs coming back. I like it. We don't talk about it here on steak for breakfast enough. We're going to start talking about it again. What's well, the first rule of congressional fight club. Damn, I always forget. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about congressional meme club then on the 16th when Mike Collins rolls back in. Oh, I can only imagine how are we going to have immigration reform debate memes to talk about? I can only hope. All we could do in the meantime is wait. And before that, we're going to be jumping in with Brandon Gill. Before we do, let's check in one last time with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the candidate who's running in Texas 26. He's also endorsed by President Donald Trump. He's joining us for the first time. Very excited to be talking to Brandon Gill. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. I'll do great work. Pleasure is all ours. We hope it's the 
first of many interviews we have with you on your way to the House of Representatives next year. Listen, this is a busy time for the Republican caucus. Obviously, we're entering one of the biggest, if not the biggest, election cycle in the history of the Republic as well. You've decided to get in the arena and, and throw your name in the hat for Texas 26. There are a lot of people leaving Congress on, on both sides of the aisle right now. Every America First seat that we could add is going to make legislative agenda easier for President Donald Trump when he wins back the White House next year. But, Brandon, we have to ask you, what was your mindset and, and what what led to the final decision of you getting into this race and wanting to join some of our great friends from the show up there on Capitol Hill next year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest reason that I'm in this race is you can see the state of the country right now. We've got open borders. We've got inflation raging, terrible economy. We've got Democrats trying to push all kinds of really nasty, perverted things on young children. And there are a few reasons that's happening. Obviously, the left is going further and further to the left, to the, to the absolute extreme. But one of the reasons they've been successful is that we haven't had a Republican Party that's fought back. Um, we've been sort of fighting the old guard, playing, playing politics in the sort of old guard GOP style. And look at where that's gotten us. The reality is we've got to get people who are going to stand up and fight in Washington, especially from red districts like the one that I'm running in in Texas 26. We've got to get people who are going to fight right alongside President Trump and who aren't afraid to stand up both to the radical left and to uh, some of the establishment members of our own party. When you see some of the long-term House Republicans calling it quits. There was just another announcement of, of one of the Colorado representatives leaving today. He's joining his Colorado counterpart, Ken Buck. You see Kay Granger getting out of the race. Uh, obviously, you know, Kevin McCarthy was a big one that left at Christmas break as well. I do think the writing's on the wall. I do think that there's at least 70 seats in the House of Representatives that Donald Trump won handily in both 2016 and 2020. And you started to allude to it. I want I want you to touch on that a little more, especially for the the legislative portion of it, which definitely is, is is a huge item heading into the election season. We have to retain power in the House to make President Trump's job that much easier in 2025. But getting into this race right now, we have to be able to put more America First congressmen and women into those seats because, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, there's a lot of squish Republicans in the House right now to where, you know, they're very timid on impeaching Joe Biden when the laundry list of things that, you know, he's done throughout the course of his career up in Washington, D.C. I mean, look at the border. We're going to touch on that in just a bit. But the job that Alejandro Mayorkas has done or hasn't done, you know, to this point in just completely destroying our nation's sovereignty down there in the U.S. southern border. And then you have people that are reluctant to even, you know, vote to impeach him as well. And then when you talk about legislatively, they did have a couple wins unified at the beginning of Kevin McCarthy's tenure, but it, then it kind of went off the rails, and it seems like the House Republicans, sometimes as many as 20, all the way down to, you know, the Gates 8, they, they've kind of been handcuffed by the rest of the Republican caucus legislatively because it seems like no one can get on the same page, and next year we definitely need to be there. Yeah, we do. There's a few things there. The first I'll say is one of the things that drives me absolutely insane is whenever we have a elected Republican official who doesn't adequately represent the values of his district. And we see that time and time again on very, very red seats. And the, the district that I'm running in is very red. This is a, a Trump plus 15, Trump plus 20 district. Very, very red, very pro-Trump. So you've got to get somebody who's also very, very conservative and is willing to fight. But we have districts across the country that are very conservative, but have moderate representatives. And you contrast that with the left, 
whenever the Democrats get a safe blue seat, you know, the D plus 10, D plus 15, D plus 20 districts. I mean, they're running people who are practically communists, yep. sometimes not even practically openly communists. So if they're running the most left wing people in their left wing districts and we're running moderates in our most right wing districts, we're going to lose. I mean, that's just how that's just how it works. So we've got to get people who actually represent their districts. And that's what I'm trying to do here, because this is a very pro-Trump place, uh, to your point. Mm-hmm. On the border, I think that that's a, a really good example of where the country is moving further and further to the to the right on this. And I think Trump is leading the way on this. Um, and we've got to get people who are going to fight alongside Trump. You know, it's funny because remember in 2016, Trump talked about building the wall. And that was kind of new at the time. Sure. That was like the cutting edge of conservatism. Trump was leading the way on that. I think everybody in the Republican Party, other than the, the hardcore establishment moderates, agree with that point now. And that's because of Trump. They agree we've got to build the wall. A lot of people agree that we need to reform our asylum laws. And there are some other things along with that. Trump is now leading the way ideologically again to say that we can't stop with just building the wall. We can't just stop uh, with sealing the border. We've got to deport the 8 million illegal aliens that Biden has very intentionally brought into the country. Um, and I think we've got to get a Republican Congress who's on board with that. I'll tell you, I'm 100 percent on board. I think that anything short of mass deportations isn't good enough anymore if we want to save this country. President Trump knows that. Um, and we've got to get in there and fight for it. No, that's the thing. That's, you know. It's one of those items where you have to talk about the things that Donald Trump wants to do besides border security, and that is working towards comprehensive immigration reform. But, you know, when you talk about that stuff with the Democrats, the only thing they want to talk about is amnesty. You know, we've already seen him kind of slow rolling it out at Christmas break. Chuck Schumer was teasing it. Alejandro Mayorkas is teasing it. We've kind of put it in here on the show is that's going to be the last big piece of legislation that Joe Biden tries to railroad through Congress before he's uh, kicked out of office next year. I mean, they're talking as many as anywhere between 11 and and 15 million people to give them amnesty to, to kind of what they call get the immigration system back down to zero. We all know that's not the way the system works. We all saw what happened when Ronald Reagan made the same mistake at the end of his administration where he gave amnesty to over 3 million people and what that eventually did to places like California. We we can't be, you know, stumbling into our situations, especially where we're all assuming now that the White House is going to flip next year. We have to be able to, you know, I think like you mentioned, the, the ones up on Congress who are the real hardliners they have to remain tough if it, if it means a government shutdown in a couple of weeks and so be it and then at the end of the session when we're heading into the election cycle next year get the people in congress who are going to vote to seal the border again possibly talk about an immigration moratorium for at least a, an undetermined amount of time to get things started and then and then work on the deportations to get this uh number back down from the ridiculous amount that joe biden's let in over the course of the last three years yeah exactly i think if we're looking at the immigration system, it's really, really important to realize why the left is keeping the border open. Because I think we can we can all very clearly agree that it's intentional. I think there are two reasons the Democrats are doing this. The first one is that they're intentionally trying to sow the seeds of chaos and destruction in our country. I think flooding our communities with drugs, flooding them with crime, and with people who don't speak our language and don't adhere to our culture is this the specific goal. Why are they doing that? Because that tears apart our social fabric and creates a very fertile ground for them to come in with big government and with socialism. And that's that's the end goal for them. 
The second reason is that the Democrats are having a really hard time uh, winning elections fairly. They rigged the 2020 election, and we have to be very clear, the 2020 election was 100% stolen from President Trump. I think that that view should be a litmus test, honestly, for Republicans running in deep red districts like mine. If you don't believe the 2020 election was stolen, you shouldn't be running in a district like this. But whenever they're not rigging elections with ballot trafficking operations, they're rigging them by importing millions and millions of people that they believe are going to be future Democrat voters. That's the bet the Democrat Party's making. Now, we'll see if if working class Hispanics are really on board with the trans, you know, transing your children and all the other perverted things Democrat Party's embracing. So we'll see how that works out. But that's the bet that we're making. No. So to your point about deportations, anything short of mass deportations is effectively amnesty for these people. Correct. You know, I, you know, whether it's formal amnesty, we're giving you citizen citizenship or whatever, these people came here illegally. And if we're not going to send them back, we're, we're basically just capitulating and conceding that, that it's okay for them to be here. Yeah, it's pretty wild the way, you know, the Democrats are trying to line this up. But I think Republicans, you know, I've, I've heard Mike Johnson about a month ago, he went on Fox and Friends with uh, Chairwoman Elise Stefanik and said, if Joe Biden's not going to close the border, then he's going to close the Republican House. He went down to the U.S. Mm-hmm. southern border this week in Eagle Pass and the, the Rio Grande Valley and kind of reiterated that to the press that, you know, we don't need to take a, a hand vote on, on what's going to happen if Joe Biden doesn't do his job and Alejandro Mayorkas doesn't do his job. You have to assume that Mike Johnson's going to do his job. And then when you talk about, you know, how this factors into the whole big thing, I, I know Democrats are going to try and spin this as that the Republicans don't want to fund more Border Patrol agents and give us the funding we need. I mean, the funding obviously goes right to the NGOs who are facilitating this border crisis right now. And then all of the border agents that they want to add is just going to be able to allow all the other people from all the other agencies who are down processing people on the border to go back where they belong so they could put in new fresh Border Patrol agents to process all the millions of illegals that Joe Biden continues to let in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that border security is a great way. Uh, make, making government funding contingent upon border security, security is a phenomenal idea. I mean, to be to be honest, I have no problem shutting the government down for just about any other reason. I mean, I, th- I think that we're spending way too much. The government needs to be small enough to fit within the bounds of the Constitution. And as long as we keep spending like crazy, uh, that's never going to happen. But if the government, if our federal government is not going to protect our borders from a, a very flagrant invasion, I mean, what are they good for? I mean, what what else is what? Why else do we have a federal government if they're not going to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic? It's the truth. And, and, you know, the next thing I wanted to ask you on, we've mentioned him a couple of times, President Trump. He's obviously on the ground in Iowa today doing a couple of big events. He's got a couple more events scheduled there throughout the weekend. You did kind of get the uh, Trump endorsement almost as soon as you announced your candidacy for Texas 26. I know you and your family have had a longstanding relationship with President Trump, but at the same time, he needs to, you know, be comfortable in, in, in the job that you're going to be willing to do up on Capitol Hill alongside him when he's the president next year. Do you want to talk about a little bit what went into that endorsement and how great of an honor it is to receive it from the 45th president? First of all, I, I cannot even express how much of an honor it is to be endorsed by President Trump. Um, president Trump is the most conservative president of my lifetime. And I think that he resurrected a dying Republican Party that I don't think I don't think the Republican Party, were it not for Donald Trump right now, would be nationally viable. 
So it, it, you cannot overstate how important he is to the national viability of the Republican Party. Um, it is a huge honor. I will say I endorsed President Trump on the first day of my campaign. I'm the only person in, the, in this race who did endorse President Trump at all. Um, several of my opponents are DeSantis type uh, supporters or have sort of shied away from getting 100 percent on board the Trump train, which is and like I said, this is a very pro-Trump district. But listen, I, I think that President Trump, it's a, it's a really, really exciting time because I think President Trump is on the war path right now. Like we said, looking not just to seal the border, he's looking to deport illegal aliens. He's looking to secure our elections. He, and he's looking to do this aggressively. And he knows that one of the ways that he can do that is if he has allies in Congress. And I'll tell you, I will be President Trump's biggest ally in Congress. Well, we're looking forward to seeing how this race shapes up, Brandon, and, and just how everything is going to go in, in regards to this race. I do want to talk about Texas 26 a little bit. Why don't you tell our listenership? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, it says a, a district that Donald Trump had comfortably won in the past. It's also, you know, extremely red district. But what's it like on the ground out there? I'm sure since you announced your campaign, you've been out meeting with your uh, potential constituents for next year and, and things of that nature. Obviously, you've lived in the district as well. But how much of a change have you seen over the course of the last couple of years since Donald Trump's left Washington, D.C.? And what are people looking for to get their lives back again in 2025? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that people want is they want somebody who's actually going to fight in Washington. They're tired of people who say the right things in a Republican primary or whenever they're in the district and they're talking to the most conservative people uh, in the country and then going to Washington and selling out. So they want somebody who's actually going to be ideologically right wing and also fight for it. I think most people realize, especially in the district, that the 2020 election was stolen and they're trying to steal it again from President Trump by taking him off the states. And I don't think it's just going to stop in Colorado and Maine. More more left wing states are going to try to do this. So they want somebody who who realizes what time it is. They want somebody who realizes that the Democrat Party that we're fighting against right now is very different than, for example, the blue the Democrat Party of the Blue Dog Democrats that um, I think a lot of people have, have, for a certain amount of time, sort of gotten used to. Those were the guys who I disagree with them ideologically, but to a certain extent were sort of genuine, genuine patriotic Democrats. That Democrat Party's dead. And we've got to get people in Washington who realize what time it is, realize that we're fighting against the Democrat Party, who is intentionally trying to rip up the Constitution, intentionally trying to rip our elections, intentionally trying to absolutely rip apart the social fabric of this country um, and bring in big government socialism. And that's what they're looking for more than anything else. No, you make some excellent points there, and it kind of, uh, you know, your district seems like a microcosm of what the bigger story is going across this country right now, especially in all those places that Donald Trump did so well in in the last two election cycles. Brandon, last thing I want to touch with you on, this is going to be really helpful to you and your campaign moving forward. You know, we, we've really encouraged and conditioned our listenership over the course of the last couple of election cycles to get involved in people's campaigns. You don't have to live in Texas 26 to contribute. You don't have to live in Texas 26 to be able to help you out and make sure you get over the finish line in November as well. You know, everything from those small money donations all the way up to door knocking and attending events that you're going to be doing in district and places all around the country probably between now and the primary. But why don't you tell our listenership exactly what you need and how people who live both in and outside of your district can get involved? Yep. The the biggest way is to go to brandongillforcongress.com. And there you can find uh, ways that you can contribute financially, especially if you don't live in the district. 
um, any amount helps, whether it's $1 or $5 or $10 or $50, anything helps and makes a difference here. Um, the other way is if, if you do live in the area, there, there are sign-up sheets on my website um, where you can put your name and your contact information, and we will reach out to you um, because we need all the help we can get, whether it's door knocking um, or just helping us get out signs and spread the word. Uh, but you can find all of that on my website at brandongillforcongress.com. Absolutely fantastic. And anybody that wants to check you out on social media and, and be able to track you there as well, what's your handles? On Twitter, I'm at RealBrandonGill, and you can find me on Facebook at BrandonGeneGill. I'm also on Truth Social, I should say, as uh, at BrandonGill. We're going to be live linking all of that in the show description today, Brandon. We're also going to be looking to have you back at, you know, hopefully numerous times between now and the primary and up through the general election in November. We're going to do everything we can to continue to support your campaign and look forward to touching base with you again. This is the Trump-endorsed candidate who's running for the U.S. Congress. He's looking to run it in Texas 26. Mr. Brandon Gill, thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a great weekend. Thank you all for having me on. I appreciate it. Take care. Busy into the work week, but uh, rescheduling aside, though, I think we had a pretty banger of an episode. I mean, reschedules are going to happen. What are you going to do? If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and now want to hear the over 310 other editions of the show, it's pretty simple. Follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio's. Make sure they're downloading to your electronic device. In addition, social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where you'll find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow them and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. General Counsel and Attorney at Save America, Miss Alina Haba. Congressional candidate running Washington 3, Joe Kent. Trump enthusiast and the CEO of X Strategies, Alex Brusewitz. And congressional candidate looking to run in Texas 26. You guys all helped make steak great again. Guys, don't worry. We're heading into the weekend. You've got four episodes to catch up on now. From this week and next week, we're starting off with an absolute heater as well. Congressman Matt Rosendale and Andy Ogles will be joining us. Roger Stone on a reschedule. And the lovely Miss Christina Bob. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend and take care. And a play. Computer Blue. <laughs> Darling Picky. They was kind of setting these fruity picks, man. You know what I'm saying? Like you be trying to check prints, and then you got this cat standing behind you, and he's getting close to you, and his hands is out like this. You don't really want to be bent over in front of a cat like that. You know what I'm saying? Prince was incredible. <laughs> Prince, you got a towel, man? It's kind of hot out here, man. Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Good. In your face, Charlie Murphy.